That's how it was. Like, if you told anyone you were using computers or calling, like, they either thought you were that war games was going to happen, or they were just going to kick your ass and throw you in a trash can. So there wasn't anyway. That is, that is, in a nutshell, <laughs> the computing experience of the eighties. That, that yeah, those are exactly the two scenarios. Hey, Steve. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Um, it's going okay. Uh, today, we are going to start out by talking about what this episode is about. This is 6.12. This is Season 6, Episode 12. And we are talking about the Atari 8-bit and more, uh, specifically in an interview and discussion I had with Jamie Landino. But we're also going to talk a little bit about holiday gaming and mental health a little bit too aren't we steve yeah so i mean first of all it's it's a couple interviews with jamie right you had a couple different interviews yeah i mean so i've had a little bit of hardware problems and i and i interviewed jamie first time and i had some sound issues and they interviewed him again and while there weren't any sound issues the issues were completely with jeff so um what i'm doing is i'm what you'll see coming up very soon it's just um i've mashed the two interviews together and um and i think it works it works awesome. works well because jamie we answered the same questions twice sort of in different orders and it, it kind of works because where there's color um that i accidentally stepped on top of maybe in in one of the other episodes on one of the other interviews that colors back because um we kind of went to the same set of questions twice so well, let's talk about that for a sec because um you know when you and i both are not professional interviewers in any way whatsoever well, i 100% are you're better than i am we tend to get very excited about yes. what we're talking about it's a conversation not an interview and so i'm a terrible interviewer yeah so we tend to like have all these ideas and want to jump on it and and um and i think that that makes interviewing difficult and so i think that what happened what happens is we both did it if you i mean it's kind of funny because i actually referenced that in the um gcc video where um i realized halfway through that i'm talking too much and why i'm talking too much i think it's it's in the lot the full version of lost credit and also lost credit i think it's in lost credit part two but also in the final version that's out on, on YouTube and also in the in the pod feed. Um, the last real podcast I think we put out was that whole version of Lost Credit, which is out now a couple months ago. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's, it's very difficult to, interviews are very difficult. It's hard to be Kevin Savitz. He can just ask a question and then not add anything. And it's a fantastic way to do an interview. I think Same. Kevin, has extreme um patience he's patience yeah no i i like i like his interviews a lot so jamie Lido is a journalist and author of several books about atari um they're they're not self-published no. they're published through a publisher he's got breakout which is about the atari 800 he has adventure which is about the atari 2600 he has the atari st1 which well, i don't remember light. the name faster, faster than, than light. light and then he has uh one about track the, the mode. arcade game a track mode about arcade games i was just reading a track mode today i wanted to get some information about the game bosconian he has a little section on bosconian there he has a section about time pilot which is great 
Um, doesn't have a section about Swimmer. I'm going to tell. I want Jamie to make a part two and get <laughs> Swimmer by Tecmo in there. Uh, but that's Jamie. Writes all these books. He is a, he is extreme. Uh, he's a great Atari fan. He grew up with Atari just like we we did in a very similar way. Um, and he's a good friend too. I like I like Jamie a lot. I and, like Jamie a lot too. That's and, funny that you said extreme because he works at Extreme Tech. That's and, right. Um, extreme. He and the interesting thing, one thing about Jamie was in about. You know, 2012, maybe, uh, we saw, maybe 2013 or 14, we saw somebody on PC Online or PC Mag Online had written this incredible article about the Atari 8-bit. Well, who is this guy? Who is it? Turns out, a few years later, it's Jamie Lindino, and he starts writing his first book on the Atari 8-bit. So, Jamie That makes is, a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 Um... So, so Jamie's a professional journalist who's been writing about technology for a really long time. And there's one thing in the in the interview we do mention that it's the fir- his book was the first book, modern book just about the Atari 8-bit. I there's one caveat on that. I know that there's been other books that have come out maybe before or after that focus on games or something like that. I think Jamie's was the first American book. I think there might have been one that came out. Uh, one that was just about games and uh, maybe two that were just about games that came out um, before that doesn't matter that's not here nor there I just said I that's one caveat I don't I don't know the dates which one came out first or second but Jamie's is definitely the first American perspective book on the Atari 8-bit that has come out full hardware and everything not just about games and so he's released a part a second edition of his book breakout which is about the Atari 8-bit right he has so yeah, so he's so second edition. But anyway, that's interview coming up a little later. Let's talk a little about it about it being the first part of December. Christmas is coming, um, and it's going to be another Atari Christmas. It's isn't going it? to be yes. Um, the Atari Twenty Six Hundred Plus. Hopefully, I'm still waiting for things to arrive that, um, or for waiting for things to arrive at your house that I ordered for you to give me. <laughs> <laughs> the paddles and berserk plus yeah. you know whatever if it doesn't arrive it doesn't arrive um it, it probably will um but what about the ones you ordered yourself like there will be three copies now or something okay well this is the thing atari still has a lot of orders to send out i doubt if mine's gonna come out before christmas but i'm hoping they one of it's gonna come this week they said didn't oh, they tell okay. you it was gonna well come? then it, something would, they say that to you I don't. I have to look at the emails again. Something's coming this week. That's great. I will. That will be one I will deliver to you. Hopefully, the other one from Amazon will come to you also. If we do have an extra one, we'll put it up as a prize or something, or we'll run a okay. contest or something like that. We'll, yeah. Um. So, or we'll find someone we can give it to who would really like it. Yeah. You know? I, I. There may be someone just to give it to. Like. Um. You're right. So we've got. Um. You know, I know you're really into contests now. After this, not into contests. There's a contest during this interview, and I, I step on the contest so many times. It's just send the ten digits of our first home phone number to me, and you can. If you're the first one to do it, you will get the second copy of Jamie's book that I have. That's all. I have a copy of Mr. Brennan Jump coming as well, as long as the 2600 plus that you're getting for Christmas from me. Now, the other thing is we both ordered the book from the Retro Hour, right? Right. That has not arrived. Which yet. is supposed to come as well. So that would be the other gift. Oh, there's another one coming too. You don't you don't know about it, and if I, it does come, I will I will when I deliver you other things, I'll deliver it to you too to give back to me. 
Okay. Oh, good. Okay, please. I don't want to don't get me pressure to buy you another gift. I'm, I'm, you know, the, I'm, I'm still putting two kids through college. No, so. you. <laughs> I'm not expecting to buy. Anyway, I don't care about gifts. Um, I don't care about gifts at all. Um, but I don't mind having Atari Christmases. Those are great. Yeah, Atari Christmas is going to be fun. Tell me about some of the videos you just put up on YouTube. So I've been putting up ST videos and a few others. Actually, my last four videos have been ST videos. The last two were run and gun games on the ST, and this is where I like to excite American people who never knew the ST existed, or anyone, with like this, just all these games that are fun to play, and they had no idea they existed. They only heard of these games on the 64, Commodore 64, or the NES at, at the most. Uh, Atari Stoss video, my dev diary on Grief, the game Grief, which I've been com added a whole bunch more in my mind to it, but not on, not in, in. <laughs> um, and then I'm going through all the ST Log magazines, kind of like some other um, podcasts and stuff are doing, but ST Log, and just going through like the history of the Atari ST in the USA based on ST Log magazines. So I've been doing those, um, and I have some non, some non ST stuff up there too. I have, I did uh, Jaguar uh, Crack the Seal on Raiden from a version of Raiden that I purchased over the summer. And then I did Sunsoft Collection Number 1 for the Evercade, which includes games for the NES and the SNES. Uh, and the Game Boy, the Game Boy, I think it's the regular Game Boy going up. What about you, Steve? You just put up a new video, too. All these well, yeah, no, I put up a new video. So what did I do? So in the pod feed, I put in the audio of um, the my existential journey with desert falcon which which was from the summer which was a video but i never put the audio into the pod feed because it was a version of something we read in one of the podcasts but it's a better version i think and so i decided I'd, i like, like it. it's a more produced version i think i read it better um and I think it just sounds better. But that's uh, that's about me kind of understanding what the game Desert Falcon is. And um, like everything now, it, it mentions the great video game crash because everything <laughs> everything turns out because I did it. So the last thing I did was I from one of the newspaper stories that I wrote this year um, was a story called Punker Pac-Man and the Mindless Generation, which was in the local newspaper. And it was about the local arcade or not arcade that we went to when we were kids. And I decided I'd, I'd record and produce that as a podcast and then when i was building the podcast audio i'm like yeah, this could be a video too so i put a video up about that and then i put that in the pod feed as the last podcast a very short podcast it's like 18 minutes long um but it's whatever i mean it's just whatever we decided you to had one other one which was between those which was the great north american video game crash advertisements right for november now there's also ads for december right, right. and you and i went through them so we've recorded two other podcasts. Actually, we've I'm going to say we've probably recorded four other podcasts that we never used. Right. Um, we recorded one last year called Games We Finished. Yes. And it was after the Retro Hour had a thing about the guys not finishing, ever finishing games. And we, we made like a list of like every game we ever finished and then talk, talked about them. That still exists. We just haven't done anything with it. Yeah. Um, and so that that may become a bonus. I mean, we just to get it off the a, plate. Just a little. Uh, I mean, a few weeks ago, you came down here. We went and bought a brand new Lynx game and did a crack the seal on it. That we exists did. somewhere. That exists too. And then we also have one about um, 
Uh, we did one where we read through that. We did some Atari news and then read through that December list of ads and we talked about them. Oh, yeah. That still exists. I don't know if we're going to use that or if I'll just do a video of, um, I might do use that portion of the video and put up another video with the crash ads or maybe I'll just make another video with no talking. I, I don't know how it goes. Depending how much I, how much work I need to do to get those to, um, to actually be usable. God. So... The other thing that I know that we, we recorded an entire podcast about this was very raw was about our friend Brandon, um, who passed away in November of brain cancer. He's our age. He's our age. It's it's little been a little bit devastating, I'll be honest with you. And yeah. I it, I feel like there has been I have been certainly too. finding myself very depressed um and okay. and kind of in a kind of in a, a daze malaise i don't know if that makes any sense no i understand completely it's it's like you were correct is that i need to talk to people because even though i have you know my family here and everything when it comes to like things jamie comes on and i just get so excited to talk to somebody about something i it, my parts of the interview are very poor and um, and maybe hopefully it'll be clean when we see this next. Hopefully it'll be cleaned up a lot. Um, but who? But you know, I, I just. But you had to. You had to do a lot of work to clean it up because I think what happened is, and and no one probably won't see this. So yeah, I'm gonna clean it up. You clean it up, but like, like, like you were so excited to talk. Jamie did get a word in ed- edgewise. Yeah. It, it, well. Yeah. It, let's just say. Let's just say without any caveats. That's exactly what happened. But, but um, I think it's because you need to talk to humans more often. And I think what's funny. We all do. That's not the thing, funny. though. We all do. Everybody yeah. does. It's- I think what's it's funny, but not ha-ha funny. But funny is that, you know, we started this podcast in 2017 after mom died. Right. right. And and through the years, it's like then our sister Mars died and then John died. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, I, like, like our kids have grown up. My kids have moved away. Um, you've moved away. Moved you know, away. there's a lot of in the past when we while we do this podcast, we're seemingly we've been, you know, I don't know what we're doing here, pouring our hearts out to the world, being I don't know what 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 whatever it is, whatever we're doing. Right? Wait, wait, I'm just playing um, pew pew games, Steve. I know, you play pew pew games, and I I I you know write stories where everyone someone dies at the end. Every, every right, pretty much someone dies, or you know, someone gets an incurable disease, or there's blind children on the prairie. Right, exactly. It's just like every story I write is like an episode of Little House of the Prairie. So very much so. So what you, so so by seemingly reaching out and trying to create, trying to be like open about this stuff, it's actually become more isolating right. in a way. Right. <laughs> I mean, we've met we've met some just fantastic people. I think we've right. we've discovered and found and been contacted by. Some of the best Atari fans are just just retro game fans in existence that are on the same wavelength as we are, from the Tony Longworths and the Brian Boldings and and um, Atari Legend. It just every, I mean just I'm, I don't even want to mention everybody. Just so many people, and right? Just people that um, just are people just emailed me about the podcast. I mean, just right. not even and, and and commenting on videos, you know, and just in comments. And we've met so many people. We we don't get a lot of like 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 gruff. We get a few, a little bit. I think but, it's one but, guy though. Yeah, but my, but my my point is is that 
even with all of that and meeting all those people, when Jamie says in the interview that you have coming up that he went to Atari party, I was so jealous. Me too. I'm like, I just wanted to talk like, about Atari party. Not really. Because I, I was like, Peter it. doesn't invite us to Atari party anymore. No. And, and we never actually went. No, no, no. no. Went Atari party person. was actually physically at some place and Anybody could have gone if you no, were there. My my point isn't that at all. That oh, we okay. weren't invited. That's not what okay. I mean. My Go point on, is, like, that. with all of this stuff, is like, oh, I really like to see people. People, and, right? And exactly. Visit with people, and I think this has become so. Even though we've reached out, and even though this has become, you know, this podcast and stuff, I think has been a great a great outlet and mental health outlet, and and it allows you, you know, there's something about just writing stuff down that right. people say is really good for your mental health. Like, get it out get it to the world you know sometimes if we can make it entertaining for people as well then and they can live vicariously through it or actually identify with it then that's, that's just great. a but at the same time it's it's you know that we've we've been doing this and it's really fun and interesting and it goes in all sorts of different directions and let's just explore atari and um i think that uh i think that We've seen less and less real people. I mean, we've had right. a pandemic well, as well. The pandemic. So many things. It's it's still the pan, it's still from that. It's still the pandemic. I think it's very widespread that most people are still isolated. There's, a, I mean, if you look at just Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, everyone else is having a great time, but you. But I really think that most people are feeling isolated, especially in this sort of where you play the retro games and stuff. I mean. You're one of the few people you know that do it, and, right? And you're online with other people that do it, and it's like it's it's not something that like you're. There's not easy to have a lot of a big amount of people around you, and every podcast listen to where there's a two-player game, everybody says, "I would play this two-player if I had anyone to play with." Play with, yeah. And I think that it's so funny. I was I was watching I was watching a video about Billy Mitchell and all this all this controversy and scandal or whatever, and and it, it, it there's some great stuff out there, um, but but my point is is that. When, whenever I see a video about like high scores in 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 like you know classic games or golden age games, and someone's like, "Yeah, Billy Mitchell's gonna play Donkey Kong," and and come watch the whatever the guy walks around and says, "There's gonna be a kill screen." You know what's funny is that like watching someone play a a golden age video game is kind of a big fucking bore. I mean, who really wants to? It's it's. Who wants to watch someone play for like four hours right. before they get because to the thing? The same four screens over and over again. Yeah, I think even even when they had like e games, the original e games, like people. I remember watching. I think we we it was um, it was uh, that's incredible when they had like the Pac Man competition or something, and I remember it sounded good in the TV guide, but when you see it, it's like. It's just people playing Pac-Man. Like it's right. cool, but it's not interesting to watch. I think that's the that's one of the problems with the games that we love is it's not all that great to watch someone play. If you're if it's a it, game that repeats a lot, I know. Yeah, and most well, most of those Golden Age games are games where they get harder and harder and repeat a lot. And so, if you've seen all the levels, you're like, okay, I've seen it. It's why. You know, people do, you know, will play like Zelda and those games and because there's like an adventure to go on, right? You see stuff you've never seen before, secret areas and stuff like that. So I think it's fun to a point, but it's a very, I'm here's my point, it's a very solitary activity. It's Fine. a very solitary activity, Steve. You know what? Um, I did have a chance to talk to an actual human about it, though, two weeks in a row. 
And um, and so let's jump into the interview. And edit together the best bits to let's, make Oh, yeah. I'm gonna bitter. This is collecting together the best bits of two interviews. And um, and uh, we'll be back after that. So I have with me Jamie Landino, Super Atari author. Introduce yourself, Jamie Landino. Oh, thank you. Well, you just did it for me, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I'm Jamie Landino. I would not call myself that, but that was very nice. Um, I write books about Atari and other things. Um, not just some books. You have written a book about almost every single Atari system and almost every single era of Atari. Um, even the the video game, even the arcade games going back in one of your books. So why don't you give us a little background on Jamie Landino? Oh, well... I mean, I've been playing with all this stuff, you know, since I was, I think I got my 2600 when I was six. So that was 1979, that would have been. And then I got the Atari 800. I got the 400 first. We exchanged it within a week for the 800. And that was in like 1982. Um, I've just been in, I just, you know, what, once I got those, I just, that that's kind of like set the trajectory of my entire life. Like, that's all I did Understood. was play. Understood. And, and, and kind of like a through line in why I'm writing these books and why I can't stop. I'm still working on, I'm working on more of them already. Like, I, I just want to convey, I, I don't know what's driving it. You know, you probably need a therapist counselor to figure it out. But like, I just want to explain what it was like to, pl uh, to play the games, to use these things when they were new. Like, I, I kind of want to like say, th this is what it was like then. As opposed to like, I, if I can convey that kind of excitement and wonder and just, like even awe at what these things can do in a time when none of that existed before. And I was fortunate enough to have several of the systems and I just absolutely loved going to, we didn't have too many arcades near me. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and we had um, a lot of like what they call like the street corner bodegas and there were um, and newsstands and each of them would always have like a few different machines crammed into them. So I'd play those games and I'd want to play them at home and it was just a, it was just wonderful it was just a, a wonderful time and that's where a lot of like today's game industry came from with a lot of this stuff um what was the first video game system you had in, in at home to play oh that was the 2600 um do you remember not, when you got that i believe i was six um my parents don't remember exactly <laughs> when they got it they tried to ask them like come on i, I need a date like when okay. did you but uh, yeah, I, I was six. I would have been seventy-nine, like when I got it. Very cool. So you got it very early on, like just a couple years after. Um, and then you didn't just have an Atari twenty-six hundred. You had other systems, correct? And not yes. just Atari, but other video game systems. Yeah, no, I was lucky. Um, I was basically, I was an only child. Uh, my parents didn't want me going out too much because Brooklyn wasn't exactly the safest place in the world at that time. And they uh, they kind of overdid it and were like, yeah, I mean, they didn't say it like this, but it was like, well, yeah, we'll buy you things, stay in the house. And so like I had a number of systems. I had ColecoVision, I had the television, I had the Atari 800, that was my first computer, and I had the 2600. And yeah, I was just playing all this stuff all the time. Of course, comparing versions of games and, you know, it's kind of like I want my whole life. And then, you know, 40 years later, I'm starting to think, you know, I should write about all that stuff. It's kind of how this happened. And, and your parents were actually ahead of their time, by the way. None of us let our kids out of the house now. 
<laughs> yeah, right. I know it's kind of funny. Like now, it's like I would be maybe normal to slightly free compared to yeah, how free today. compared to some of the parents. Exactly. Um, yeah. So you you mentioned writing. Tell, get us a, an idea of how your career went with writing and how you got up to the point where you could start writing these books about Atari and other systems. Oh, okay. Um, basically, for the past twenty some odd years, I've been in tech journalism. I've been writing for all kinds of computer magazines uh, in the two thousands, um, and then I joined PC Magazine. I started written for, writing for them in two thousand five, and then I joined in twenty eleven. That's where I've been ever since. And lately, I've been the editor of its uh, one of its sister sites called Extreme Tech. So I've been doing a lot of this stuff. I did hundreds of reviews of cell phones and speakers and consumer electronics and all sorts of stuff, and wrote thousands of blog posts. Anyway, right around 2014 or so, I had just started becoming more of an editor, and I started I stopped writing. I was basically editing other people's work, and that's kind of where I went ever since. And which is great, but like I, it was kind of like an like a, a compulsion that I wanted to write about something. And I figured I wanted, I, I, was, I was thinking I should, nobody's ever written a book about the Atari 800. Like uh, about the whole, I mean, everybody's written about it in, back when it was new. There were tons of programming books and all sorts of things like that. And Compute had their own book, like the first book of Atari. But nobody recently has written something that focused just on the Atari 8-bit computer. So starting in 2014, I started putting this together and that's what became Breakout, which came out in 2017. Now, was Breakout the first one that came out or did you come out with Adventure first or was it Breakout? And Adventure is the book on the 2600. So Breakout came right. first. Right, yeah, I did it kind of backwards. I did that one first because that was the one that was the core of like my being. I had to write about that first. There's a and lot of us where our first 8-bit computer, and mine the Atari 8-bit, so Atari 800, was, is the core of your being. So it would be the first thing to write about, people whose first computer was a 64 or a Spectrum or something like that. They'd have the same, or a Apple or a TRS-80, they'd have the same thing. Like That's what they want to get out, because that machine sparked them. Now, you said one thing that was really interesting. You became more of an editor, and then you wanted to do, and so your hobby is now doing. Same thing with computer programming, with computer programmers and game developers same thing Suddenly, your hobby becomes what your job was when you liked your job <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you like your yeah, job. I, was gonna say, I do actually like my job um i love my job but it's, it's not the same it's not it's not the same as creating and i could totally see that like it's a lot of times you as your career grows you sometimes, sometimes you get a little bit away from the thing that got you into it in the first place and that's kind of how i mean i'm always going to want to write you know, I've just been lucky enough that I can say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dedicate my spare time to this kind of thing now. Well, and she's lucky to have you, and we're lucky to have you. Um, let's quickly go through. I just want to go through the books that I have of yours, and you can describe each one, and um, and then we're gonna focus on the new version of Breakout. But first, here is, and it's backwards. <sighs> Yes, actually for me it's perfect. Describe this book very generally because we're going to get to the details of the new one. This was the first one and it was about 2014? Yeah, well that's when I started writing it. It didn't actually come out until early 2017. Oh, okay, got it. Um, but yeah, that, that one covers the whole uh, run of the Atari 8-bit, you know, the 800, the XL, the XE. Uh, some of the 5200. I go through all the, um, you know, the history of the what what happened and, and everything that came out, all the software that started to come out for it. How Atari was secretive about how people can write software for it and only wanted its own uh, employees to program for it at first. So like, so I, I go into all that stuff. I focus a ton on the games because there were just hundreds of, of amazing games. And the first one I did 110, I believe, or 108. 
um, where I went into each one in depth. And then about the community today, I talked about uh, all the mods you can, well, of 2017, I talked about all the mods you can do and collecting and, you know, it was still, eBay was starting to become a little expensive by that point, but it wasn't too bad yet. Um, and I just talked about all that stuff. <laughs> okay, so the next one you came out focused on the Atari 2600 VCS. That's Adventure, uh, the Atari 2600 at the dawn of console gaming. Okay, this one and the ones that followed, I tended to do more chronologically. Um, remember, the through line for all of these is they're not like textbooks. They're not just pure history and pure interviews or anything like that. It's really it's, uh, what it was like. I, I put all the history in it, but it was also what it was like to experience the games and experience playing the console when it was new. So I feel like that's the thing I really wanted to get at. Why this was so special in the time that it all came out. As opposed to looking back at it now and saying, oh, it's got pixelation because it's, you know, uh, <laughs> graphics. Like, so that's the through line. And this one, I went a little bit more chronologically and I just said, you know, starting from before the console came out to when it hit the market in 77 to the different changes, you know, in the consoles and uh, uh, Activision and, and Magic starting to program games a little bit later. I went into all that stuff. But I didn't talk about today because there wasn't a whole lot to say about today with 2600. Everybody still playing. Oh, guess what? That means you need an update to this book, 2600 plus, and new 2600. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Um, okay, so you did that one. Then, surprisingly, you're also an Atari ST guy. That one's faster than light. Uh, I, I hear that one is the Atari ST in the 16-bit revolution. What is faster than light, Jamie? It is a company that... Uh, including the uh, the best one, I think, which is Dungeon Master. Correct. <laughs> and Oids. And I think one other game, too, I'm trying to think of. Oh, Sundog. Sundog, Sundog the Frozen yep. Legacy. Yes. I thought I loved that game. That, that's another whole... I know this. I know we're talk, supposed to be talking about Breakout, but that's... We will get into this book in detail sometime. The ST is is my rosebud. Um, um, so yeah. just for ST fans out there, there is a book for you. And it's a fantastic one. Organized a little bit like Breakout or Adventure. Uh, more like more like Breakout. I, I did do some chronological going through everything, but I also did have the today section with the mods and community and all that because there was there's just so much going on for that platform too. And there was, there was a bit of an American European, not divide. So more more like it found more of an audience in Europe, but there still was one in America. Right. All of that. Not a divide. A crossover. That, there you go. Yeah, I, I knew that wasn't the right word. And I think this was the next one that came out, was Attract Mode. Yeah. Attract Mode right. is all about arcade games. Before I wrote all these, just as an aside, uh, before, for like a decade, I had in my bio on all the magazines I used to write for that I was uh, an Atari fan back in the day and that I could be easily lured into any room with vintage arcade games. <laughs> It's still true. You can have the yeah. seediest room in your bar, and if there's a Galaga machine in the back, I'm there, right? <laughs> Seriously. So, yeah, so this was about what I was just talking about earlier, like growing up around these machines, which for a time seemed like this was the future, that these machines were just the new thing and that arcades were like the new place that everybody is going to be and playing all the latest games and cutting-edge technology, and then it all went away. And it was just because obviously they went home. Like you started getting more powerful consoles right. and you play them at home. But for a time, for a very special time, this stuff was just 
uh, unbelievable, like the vector graphics games, all the different controls that you would find on the panels of each arcade machine. Each one was different than the next. Like I tried to capture what that was like because like, you really can't get that in an emulator. But honestly, it's one of the things you see in certain spots today too. The, the, the fact that you can have games as varied as Marble Madness and Joust and, and uh, uh, what do you call uh, Star Castle and, right. like all, and, and all these kinds of different uh, ideas for games. You, you actually do see some of that innovation today on the indie scene. On the indie scene, especially, right. New you things. You don't see it when, like a, a big corporation, they're only going to fund something that's $100 million and it's going to be either a first-person shooter or a racing game or it's going to be certain genres that just are right, you know, right. over and over again. And Back then, it was every, kind of the first time you saw this. That this kind of just, every, every game was trying something different. There were some clones, you know, obviously when Space Invaders took off, there were tons of space. <laughs> clones are one thing, but what happened was the, the cream rose to the top. Okay, so Jamie, the next one, Starflight. Yeah. All right, so the, the book is Starflight, how the PC and uh, DOS exploded. I have to look at my own title, is what I said, Exploded Computer Gaming. And I covered from 1987 to 94 in that. And yeah, that was the that was proving a challenge in writing that because I'm so used to writing about the platforms that lost. Right. That it was really weird to write about the one that's still around, even though I'm not covering anything, you know, recent. The big DOS era. Yeah, exactly. Right before you started to see Windows. DOS actually went further than that. It went to about 97 or so with a couple of games. But um, the, 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 a lot of the innovation was happening there. Oh, yeah. And that's where these went from CGA or monochrome screens and one channel PC speaker sound and, you know, being good at RPGs and certain action games, but not really anything like the colorful sonic uh, explosions we're used to on the Atari systems <laughs> and, and Commodore 64 and things like that. It went from that to the faster processors, the VGA cards, the sound cards, and all, all of a sudden they became phenomenal game machines, even though that's not at all what IBM originally intended when they made the platform in the first place. Today we're here to talk about this. This is Breakout. Breakout is the new version, version two, of the Atari 8-bit book. But let's start with what our plan about this one, Jamie. I have two copies of Breakout. This is my signed copy from Jamie. This is the copy I purchased off of Amazon where you probably made 35 cents knowing Amazon. So what I'm gonna do is, I'm going to give out three sets of numbers during this interview, starting with these three, 376. Those are the first three numbers in my home telephone number that I no longer have and no one I know has. If you watch this entire rest of this interview, you're going to get all seven, seven, all 10 numbers. First person to send all 10 numbers to me, you can get this book for free. I'll send it to you ASAP as long as you send me the 10 numbers that I mentioned during this interview. Right now, 376 are the first three. But I'd like to say that my home phone number from my childhood home, which is no longer in the service, was 212-646-6280. And my Atari BBS was 718-648-1083. Okay, so, Jamie. Yes. Breakout, all about the Atari 8-bit computers. Explain the title. The title is a bit of a play on how they broke out and became popular and defined a generation of gamers and a generation of computer users. It was just a play on that. Um, <laughs> the irony is Super Breakout came out for the Atari 800, but not actual Breakout. Yes. So, yes. Which, I mean, I, I kind of just, you know, hope nobody notices. 
I, I wouldn't call it like a history of Atari. And I kind of make that point in the first paragraph. Like it, it's not necessarily uh, you know all the way through from the beginning. I, I go uh, just a brief touch on how we got to the point where they started to make the computer. Um, that the VCS had come out and this was kind of be a next step. And there was already some back and forth about whether or not it should be a computer or it should be a console. Um, so I kind of jump into the story there. So the first section of the book, the first five chapters are about uh, the Atari 800, how it was designed, uh, how it worked. Um, I talk a lot about, uh, you know, Chris Crawford and uh, uh, De Ray Atari because he put out the, the manual for how to program for it. I talk a lot about um, just the lost like year and a half between when the system came out in the very end of 79, early 80, and when Atari finally started to relent and let other people besides Atari employees write software. That was probably the single biggest, like, I don't know if that's the original sin here, but that was probably the thing that 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 is more grating than anything else because once third-party developers started getting a hold of the insides of the computer, how they worked, and started writing their own software, the market just exploded in 82 and 83 with some amazing games and productivity software and all kinds of things. But for two years, Atari basically sat on it and just said, we're the only ones who are going to... Um, uh, we're the only ones who could put out software for it. Exactly. So I, I talk about all that, but I also go into all the peripherals and all the, you know, the, um, uh, the, 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 the things that Atari put out. And then as the market opened up, all you know, the other companies like, you know, Indus with the GT drive and Radis Systems 1000 and the printers. I talk about all the hardware that goes with it. I talk about running a BBS since I used to do that. And many of us did something like that, or at least called lots of them, one of the two. So the, the second part of the book is all... Uh, the games and I, I picked well now 170 originally it was less I picked what I thought were the most significant games the ones that I like you know maybe some personal ones that I loved but also some that other people did and I tried to just cover a, a large portion of the market but even so obviously there were many more hundred games than what I covered um, there's only so much I can put in there before it becomes just an Atari games book and not the computer I wanted to talk about everything um, so the second part of the book is all about uh, just the games and what they were like and um, what made them special on the Atari in particular. I tried as much as I can to talk about why the Atari version, what, what was special about it versus other platforms. Um, you know, sometimes maybe even not in its favor, but a lot of the time it was because it was, uh, I mean, you, I, I have a list in there of some of, uh, you know, famous programmers who got their start on the Atari before moving to other more lucrative platforms over time. But the Atari just kind of inspired this sort of like, like incredible creativity with uh, a lot of the early games were just, you know, it, it was so much more than just, you know, clones of Pac-Man and clones of Space Invaders. Like there was just so many ingenious games that started there like Mule and Realm of Impossibility and um, like uh, drills, uh, like juice. So, uh, you know, some of those have like you know elements of Qbert or elements of, uh, but they they have their own spin on it and their own look and their own style. But yeah, no, it was um, I, I six uh, five six years since you know I, from when I first started doing it. Five years had passed, and I realized a ton of different things had come out. Um, yeah, FujiNet is an incredible new uh, mod that a lot of enthusiasts have been using. I wanted to write about that. There were tons of games I didn't include in the first one that I wanted to include. Um, I learned a ton more about the community that's out there, and I wanted to make sure I, I name checked a lot more of that. There was just there was just so much more to add that I was like, okay, this really needs a second edition. I can't just 
you know, do do a couple of extra lines here and there and call it a day and just put it on the board. Like, I wanted to make it a, a thing. I was like, this has to be a, a full update cover to cover. So I restructured it. Uh, well, not, not completely. I, I, I more clearly defined the structure that was in the first one. I said, I, I put it in three sections and talked about the history of the system and all the peripherals and everything that came out and the software that came out. Then I talk all about the games and then I talk all about what it's like today. And it's a lot longer, mostly from uh, images, but it's, it's significantly longer. 368 pages before notes and index. That's a tome yep. about the Atari 8-bit. Okay, so you covered lots of games in this one and the, and the uh, previous edition. Totally. I mean, it was, the, it was really the first gaming PC. It was the first one to have extra hardware just to do graphics and just to do sound separate from the CPU and separate from the storage and everything else that came with the computer. It actually had dedicated chips, which, of course, you know, went on. J-Minor went on to do the Amiga. We've seen this in other things before. Game consoles all have hardware acceleration. People are putting in RTX 4090s in their PCs today to get ray tracing and, you know, 4K at greater than 60 frames per second. But all of that, like, with the Atari 800 was first in having this kind of dedicated hardware for, for graphics, for sound, for hardware, uh, sprite acceleration, for scrolling. It, it just, it was like having an arcade machine in your house. Even though it didn't look like one, it gave you some of that same power. Um, and it was just an, an amazing transformation what it could do. And yeah, I mean, it, like, and, and as I say in the, the book, of all the ones I've written, Breakout's probably the least balanced in terms of like, I don't, I don't talk a whole lot about the system's faults because I just love the thing and it's really more of a celebration of how awesome it is. Right now, you're going to boot up an Atari 8-bit and you're going to pick five games to play and you have about an hour, an hour and a half, so we're not picking any long games. We'll get to those. This is your okay. five arcade games you want to pick up and you're going to put in that Atari 8-bit and play for about an hour, an hour and a half. Oh boy, you, only five after I picked 170 off the top of my head. Um, Gyrus, Survivor, uh, Rax Lair. Um, oof, boy, I'd have to play something arcade, so probably Missile Command. Um, and then, God, a fifth. Holy cow. Um, maybe a homebrew. We've got some good homebrews, like Bosconian or Time Pilot, one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll go. But that, that, that actually, obviously, I did not have experience with when I was younger because they only just came out recently. Right. When those came out. No, Synapse really, Seamus, Synapse really was um, in, I would say that Synapse was the active, the, even though Activision made games for the Atari 8-bit, so don't get me wrong, they were sort of the Activision for us for the Atari 8-bit. We bought oh, yeah. every one of their games. Especially oh, Ford yeah. Apocalypse, Zeppelin. These games were just amazing things you couldn't get on the 2600. They were, they were a little more sophisticated, but they were like arcade games. Like, you were basically getting arcade games on your 8-bit, and Synapse made a lot of great stuff. That was, that was the whole thing with the 800, right? It was kind of the first gaming PC. That's it, kind of one of the things I, I drill into in the book, is that it had the co-processor. Right. And the Synapse games were the ones that... Um, uh, took it uh, took early advantage of that of, of, of all the third parties. Also, EA kind of got its start. Oh, there, EA, like, right, of course. And you know, uh, Archon and and Mule and all that. But a lot of these early games first started taking it. When, once that happened, that's kind of what catapulted the Atari bit ahead of its competitors. And it could have happened even earlier had there not been some questionable decisions about withholding the machine's details 
uh, from everybody. Right. Um, games that were a little bigger. So you have a day, and you it's a, all the kids are out of the house for the day, and you want to boot up the Atari 800. What game do you think you're going to play, or what couple of games do you think you're going to play when you know these are disc-based games, probably? It needs oh, a yeah. disc. It might need two discs. You never know. Oh, man, I want to give the standard answer, which is always Ultima 3 and Ultima 4. I'm always going to dive back into those um, before I do anything else. But uh, let's see. Aside from that, I mean, God, they, they had all the Infocom games on those. What else would be specific? Mule. Mule you mentioned, right? Mule. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I would cram that even earlier. I, I would have crammed yeah, that into the first Yeah, you can play Mule for an hour. It'll take an hour to, to, win, hour to yeah. win a game of Mule with the flapper because you get an extra $300, I think. And I can usually win a game of advanced Mule with the flapper. Oh, boy. Um, I would probably look at, let's see, some of the Electronic Arts games, like I said before, like Rumble of the Possibility. Um, I never actually got into Wizard's Crown because it is incredibly complicated, but I might try that. I do love CRPG, so I'd probably go back to more of those. Uh, that was also one of the early pain points with the Atari 800. We didn't get enough of the, uh, the CRPGs at the time. Um, I played Gateway to Abshai all the time back then. I played uh, Temple of Abshai Trilogy on the ST, although I've now since gone back and covered it on the 8-bit for the, for the book, but I did play that on the ST. But uh, yeah, Gateway had like some of the uh, proto action RPG stuff. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't, you didn't have stacks, you couldn't level. But it was... uh, when, so, when did you get your Atari 8 computer? I got it in 82. 82. So I, I was turning nine that year, but I got it before that. So I was eight when I got it. So, went through some games, and of course, I'll be showing video of these games. Any other just Atari 8 bit games that, you, that were your favorites? Oh boy. Uh, drop zone. Oh uh, yeah. Unfortunately, the, the, he just passed away recently. Which yeah, Archer McLean. Archer McLean. Yeah. Drop zone and IK plus two, just fantastic game. Or IK International Karate, not plus. Yeah. International Karate. Yeah. So when you get to modern Atari eight bit, what are the new things between last time and now that you really wanted to focus on in this book? Oh boy, yeah. I I cannot get over what the homebrew scene is doing. This Prince of Persia, I know. which should not have been an Atari 8-bit game by any stretch of the imagination, and it's it looks phenomenal. There's Bosconian, uh, there are um, Time Pilot, uh, yeah, Time Pilot, which has these amazing. Like, I always talk about the sprites in the book because it, it still blows me away that they got those kinds of detailed sprites out of the Atari. Um, right. Yeah, there, there's just tons of, of new software out that's come out. Like a lot of it was coming out of Europe in the in the 90s and the 2000s. After the platform was already discontinued, uh, some really smart people were already building mods in Europe and and writing uh, homebrew games games. And it just kind of snowballed over time. And now it's it, it's as if the computer's being sold new today. Right. Kind right. of it. There's like FPGA version. <laughs> there will be. Hopefully there'll even be a new board. Well, one of the things we're hoping for is that there'll be a real FPGA version with cartridge slots. And quite possibly, there might be an Atari 8-bit Mini that's coming out, or Maxi. And you'd oh, hope yeah. it could use slots, too, because Atari licensed that to somebody and we still don't know if that's going to come out with something but that could be that's the focus for the third edition of this book yeah, um, right. some of the atari resources that you name in here you talk about the antic podcast the atari age forums that talk about atari 8-bit they're all over the place what are some of your favorites oh i mean well those right there are really good um let's see i, I mean i we we cover some of this stuff on extreme tech not not nearly as much because we're not like a retro site but um no, there's a lot of uh, really good. Um, there's Twitter feeds. There's Facebook groups. 
there's I don't even know if I can single out. Like there's so many. Um, what about FujiNet? What do you think of FujiNet, Jamie? Um, it is. It's just I, yeah, I was alluding to it earlier. It's just an incredible piece of gear. Uh, uh, the work that Thomas uh, Jerry Holmes done on it. It, it, it basically it turns your machine, it puts your machine on the internet. You can connect to other uh, systems across the internet and run software remotely. It works as a printer. It uh, it, it, it it just does. It it, it, it has also of course it has flash storage, but everything like now has that. <laughs> um, you, you can just get this thing and and you and it just greatly expands the capabilities of the computer you can play games online they're gradually adding um multiplayer capability to games there's a, a, there's a weather app there, there's, there's after people writing for it it just modernizes the system it's in, in a way that like in one and done you just plug it into the sio slot uh, port and that's it so for non-atari people out there we can mention that the atari 8-bit computers almost all of them had three input well four ways to input things in the machine joystick ports cartridge port they had an sio port and some of them had a pbi port which is a direct access to the hardware the sio port is where you would uh, you would normally would be plugging in disk drive and your printer things like that fujinet replaces all of those devices in one that's the thing like if you look if you remember i used to read antique magazine constantly and it was analog and if you read these and you saw like memory upgrades for a couple hundred dollars or like an extra disk drive or a hard drive like these are things that nobody like at least nobody i knew could afford i, yeah. could have, I mean i was lucky enough to have what i had like they had this was really expensive stuff you can just get all of that now like it's nothing yeah yeah like you, can, you can you can have things you never dreamed of back then i always i always wish i had a a, a 1450 xld which is like the oh, uh the unicorn oh wait hold on a second one thing we did oh. 376 that's right Oh, I shouldn't have said those numbers again because I'm repeating. But I'll say, um, uh, did I say three seven six? Because I didn't say the actual first three numbers. Those are the middle ones. The first three numbers are two one three, because so it's two one three three seven six. So now you have the first six numbers two one three three seven six. Okay, go go on, Jamie. You just mentioned modems. Tell us about your the, a little bit about Jamie running a BBS. Before yeah. I give the last four numbers, so you yes. ran an Atari BBS. Did you want an ST BBS too, by the way? I did not run an ST BBS. Oh. I called them a lot, but I, I had already stopped by that point. I ran an Atari 800 BBS from 1984 to 1987, um, and I first got a 1030 modem, which couldn't auto answer, so we ended up upgrading it, and then I got a Hey Smart modem, 300, and then later a 1200. You need a special modem and an Atari 850 interface to, to, to make this work. And we use software by Matthew Singer called Forum XL. I say we, but my dad and I set it up, and he always gives me the credit. But I mean, that's of course awesome. He got for me in the first place, which is nice. Um, which is just wonderful. And I had a BBS called the Wizard's Chamber because I was super nerd. Um, <laughs> I still am. I never actually stopped being super nerd. You know what? Um, we are. Don't worry about it, yeah. right? Like, who yeah, cares? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, my dad still has a drawing I made in print shop of a wizard that I that I did at the same oh, time. Oh, that's amazing. Did. He still has it. Um, yeah, that and a crown. I made him a crown with the dot made with the, <laughs> the um, so I ran this BBS and people will call it's only one line, you know, so you get a busy signal if somebody was already on it. I had about five hundred users um at its peak. 
and you know after a while i just about three years i just shut it down but i mean but it was wonderful for the three years i was talking to people you would type y chat the sys up and it would bring up the window the split screen window and i would talk to people and my mother of course want to know who i'm talking to was who, who who's calling this thing because i was 11. um and it was oh it was great like i mean it was you know it's now you hear about it that people who ran bbs's it was kind of like this forefront thing and i, I didn't think of it anything like that i just thought it was great to be able to talk to people and it was this new technology it really was you know? the forefront of the internet yeah it was really interesting looking back on it now like i i, I actually i put the contents of my first usenet ever like post in in the in breakout because i like to embarrass myself ah. it was in 1987 and i wrote it about the atari st and so you went to you okay explain how you did this so you went to usenet through through a fido or how did you through usenet i think i i dialed into a uh the big electric cat which was oh. a new york city bulletin board system that then had a connection wow to, like strap whatever the word is like to get onto the internet from them like so i had to call a thing and then and then get in that one do you remember which software you used on your atari 8-bit to connect just to connect with x modem and y modem and then yeah there was a few of them okay well i'm going to give the other three numbers now but before i do is there anything else you'd like to talk about about the books um i know where you're going to send me links a link to put in the bottom where i'm going to link to where you want people to be able to purchase your books the array of them oh. Um, but is there anything else you want to talk about um, before we go um, about uh, books, about what Jamie's doing right now? Um, anything else about Breakout you want to add? Oh, um, I mean, off the top of my head, no, but I will say I just went to an awesome Atari party. Uh, oh, it was, just, it was really nice. Uh, Amiga Bill was there. Uh, Bill Lang was there, who's helped me uh, proofread with the books, too. Uh, like, uh, there were about maybe 40 people there. Um, it was nice. It was uh, a lot of computers were set up. Peter brought a lot. Uh, I think Bill brought, brought some. Uh, I know which was an Amiga C, a C, excuse me, CD32. Ooh, was that, really was that Amiga Bill brought a CD32? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are going to uh, get a link down downstairs to buy Jamie's book. And if you've listened to this whole thing and you get these last four numbers, 7009, and you listened before and you have the others, Send all those numbers to me, and you can get a copy of Breakout to the first person that sends me this information, the the 10 digits that were a home phone number from my past. Jamie, it was really great talking to you. And um, send me all the links for people to get in touch with you to go read your stuff on the currently, and we'll get it all down below, and it'll be in the podcast where I will talk about them right now. And this is coming out next Sunday, which is Sunday the tenth. This is coming out on both podcast and video. It will already be out, so no one, no, no one's hearing it. As long as you're hearing this now, if you hear it now on the tenth or see it, that means I didn't. That means I was able to edit this properly, and, and the sound all worked. <laughs> okay, well, awesome time. Work. I like that. Exactly. Well, thank you very much for taking the time again to do it, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Um, catch up with you more on social media and get some more interviews and talk about the ST next time. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Thanks a lot, Jamie. Talk to you soon. Okay. So this is the, this is episode 12 for this season, Steve. That means we're kind of at the end of this season. Maybe we'll do something after Christmas. Maybe we'll have a 13th. Every season we say that, then we have a 13th and 14th episode. Well, listen, we've got, so I wanted to do something about Brandon he was our friend, and we, we, we first played Clinical Vision, played Dungeon, Dungeons and Dragons and all of our role-playing games, and we went to school with him. And just, just you know, for, for decades, he's our best, one of our best friends. And 
and I and we we recorded a podcast that was super raw about him right after he died. It's not really appropriate no, for for a podcast. But 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 Brandon's wife invited you and I and one of our other friends to go um, look through some of his belongings yeah. uh, during during the Christmas break. And in those belongings are some of his old video game stuff, some of his old stuff that we used to computers and things we used to do with him. I think it may be interesting as a bonus to talk about some of those things if we if it's that. Okay, well, um, I don't. Uh, well, there there is a new Tony Longworth song coming up right now. We'll be seeing everyone soon, and we'll also be populating the feed with more uh, small bonus episodes as we go through December and January, and there'll be another full episode very soon, also. Okay, Steve. I have a, I have a something I'm some stuff I'm working on. I, I kind of want to get another one, the lesson out for the 7800. I have a Christmas thing that I thought I might do that we I may do the ads. So there there may be stuff beyond this podcast either bonus or not but this could be the last one so let's just say this could be the this could be the last be, one of this of, tw- of 20 uh oh my god of 2023, 2023. this could yeah. be the last one but you never know i've been i have a I've, I have bonus ones to come in the feed so there's definitely bonus things coming in the feed um, they're also going same things will go on the youtube channel okay but we'll see you know what um i'm gonna i'm gonna do this uh, so steve i'm gonna play the tony Longworth song t2k um, it's all about Tempest 2000, and it's because it's all about Jeff Minter from Heart of Neon, and um, there's lots of Heart of Neon and Jeff Minter stuff coming out. The documentary's coming out. There's a uh, digital eclipse retrospective on it coming out, and there's Aka R is coming out. We did a whole podcast and video on Jeff Minter, so watch that. Anyway, um, and uh, I'm about to play T2K by Tony Longworth, Into the Vertical Blank. You're about to hear Tony's new track. T2K from the Heart of Neon soundtrack. Until next time, into the vertical plane. Hi, this is Tony Longworth, UK dark alternative music composer and all-round Atari nut. Make sure to check out my Patreon music campaign. That's patreon.com slash Tony Longworth. Lots of free music over there. And if you can afford a dollar or two, please help me continue to write music. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast and supporting Into the Vertical Blank. And I hope you like this piece of music of mine.
sky.